one of the things that was, I think, really important for me was thinking hard about what was it that energized me every day? What day during my my research, my graduate work, was a day where I came home and was like, that was an awesome day. And those were the days that I could connect what I was doing to the impact. And so for me, maybe the path to starting a company was not obvious, but the path from the fundamental research that I was doing was. My name is Shreya Devey, and I am the CEO of Via Separations. I'm Johanna Wolfson, and I'm principal and co-founder at Prime Impact Fund. Shreya and Joanna, you have an interesting story. You both overlapped at MIT, but you didn't know each other. And then you both went into this climate tech entrepreneurship space, um, but in very different ways. And now, years later, your paths have crossed again. So Shreya, let's start with you. How did you end up at MIT and what did you do there? So yeah, I actually spent 12 years at MIT. Uh, Most of them were as a student, some of them as an undergraduate, but my PhD work was focused on the technology that we eventually spun out into a company. I was studying mechanical engineering. I was working in a material science lab with Professor Grossman, and we were able to invent a new technology that allowed us to filter streams that haven't been able to be filtered before. So I can get into more detail about that. But what was really interesting about the work that we did was we were able to look at it with an economic perspective as well, which is pretty unusual for a science or engineering focused degree. And we were able to say, well, this this makes a lot of sense here and it makes absolutely no sense there. And so what eventually has evolved into VIA is the opportunity to take something that was processed using heat. So for example, evaporation or distillation and turn that into processing using filtration. And what that does is it cuts the cost and it cuts the energy consumption by about 90%. So Via Separations was born uh, shortly after I, I left MIT. And, you know, today here we are. And that was what year? That was in 2016. We actually spent, my co-founder Brent Keller and I spent the next year uh, working on the the ideas of this company, the the customer, the, the problems that we were trying to solve, while also wrapping up our work at MIT. I was teaching and Brent was a postdoc. So we formally spun Via out in 2017. Johanna, same question. How did you end up at MIT and what did you do there? Yeah, so I I was at MIT for graduate school. I did uh, my PhD in the chemistry department, uh, did my research around physical chemistry and and optics, spectroscopy and materials. And I was doing really fundamental science work. So I was looking to understand how energy gets transferred from photons into the electrons and vibrational and rotational modes of materials. And this is, this is deeply fascinating to me. It continues to be. And so there I was in kind of in the, in the basement laser lab doing this work and developing new uh, instruments to observe uh, physical phenomena. But at the same time, I was really compelled by this question of what happens after the lab. So I, I had so many brilliant um, colleagues, lab mates, friends, professors around me who had great ideas and really promising experimental results that showed promise for, you name it, right, for a new next generation solar material that could be much more efficient than what we have today, or a new way of doing drug delivery. And I felt that there was really not a sufficient pathway for those technologies to get out of the lab. 
it felt like the culmination of a nature or science article or a splashy, you know, photo on MIT's homepage was kind of the end game. And uh, it wasn't always clear what happened next or what a student with great findings could do next. And so that's what I became really compelled by. And in particular, you know, uh, people like Shreya who uh, took their lab research and wanted to make a business out of it. I thought, well, that's, that is what I want to help make happen in the world. And so um, I, just started learning everything I could about the commercialization process in general, as it relates to, to hardware-based technologies, as well as uh, in the energy and climate sector in particular. And, and I remember going to a seminar or uh, a workshop around energy and finance, and it was probably put on by the Energy Club, which you know I think Shreya and I were both part of. And it really struck me for the first time why this was so hard right? That basically everything was stacked against the process of commercializing new technologies and getting them into the world in the energy and climate sector, where it's a legacy sector that has, you know, existed for hundreds of years. It is in the electricity sector, a sector that values above everything else, uh, reliability and and not experimenting. Um, And it is uh, going to require, especially in cases of technologies that are capital intensive, it's going to require financing structures that are really at odds with most conventional venture instruments, which otherwise are our main tool for bringing new ideas and technologies into the world. So I guess like any scientist, when I saw this problem that I was really compelled by, I just wanted to run at it and understand, you know, what what solutions we we might be able to develop to better commercialize new energy and, and climate technologies. And so as I finished up my my lab work at MIT, I decided to pivot my career to this entrepreneurial space of, of helping new technologies um, become products. And that first led me to the Applied Industry Lab Fraunhofer, where I did work with startups one-on-one to help them design validation and demonstration projects to get them ready for investment and get them ready for first customers. So we would take a new solar material and actually turn it into a solar panel and put it out on a roof and test it in the weather for four months and see what happened. And then more recently, uh, that that led me to the Department of Energy, where I led the tech-to-market efforts for energy efficiency and renewable energy at at the Department of Energy. And uh, there, I really got this purview over the U.S. innovation ecosystem and what we do and don't do a good job of supporting in terms of, of helping startups and bringing new technologies to market, including at universities and national labs and the like. And um, that allowed me to really decide what to work on next in terms of where I saw the gaps. And there are many gaps uh, from you know shared facilities to having access to finance to having access to good uh, talent and so on. And, and uh, you know, Shreya could, I'm sure, um, enumerate beyond those. But to me, it, it really did seem that the early stage financing gap is, is one of the most critical problems to solve. And that's what led me to Prime, an organization that I had known for some time, but that had developed um, a really compelling new approach to, to supporting new technologies, new startups in energy and climate. And that was a platform from which we could do new work to, to support companies like Shreya's. What's really unique about both of your work is that you started in this research intensive track and then moved totally into entrepreneurship. I think that would be an interesting topic for the graduate students and PhD candidates in the audience. Shreya, can you speak to that? I think 
for me, it is 100% about impact. You know, why did I study mechanical engineering as an undergrad? It was because I cared about sustainability and I wanted to design things that were going to make people be more sustainable in, in one way, shape or form. Why did I start working on this water project? It was because I wanted to help improve access in a technical, economic, societal kind of intersectional way. Um, and why did I start VIA? It's the same. It's the same thing. Fundamentally, what we're doing is taking uh, the energy and then a lot of cost out of manufacturing goods that we use every day. So things like toilet paper, cardboard, fertilizer, plastics, or semiconductors are all processes that have a lot of energy that go into them, and we're pulling out a, a lot of that wasted energy and, and making it more efficient. And so. For us, you know, a single sector, our very first customer segment is going to move the needle in full percentage points of U.S. energy consumption and global energy consumption. And that, I, I guess, is the is a unifying theme, not necessarily what I'm doing day to day. I think I was really fortunate to uh, have been at MIT, you know, during a time when energy was extremely, uh, really high focus, really well funded. Uh, I started my my undergraduate the same year that President Hockfield started the energy initiative. And so I, I got to see this kind of awakening of the issues and then actually experience and, and watch other people who had spun out companies or gone to work for the Department of Energy or, um, you know, gone and worked in energy consulting. And these are things that my cohort, my colleagues and my peers were, were going to do. I thought I was going to be a professor for about two weeks uh, as I started my PhD. Um, it was until exactly when I started writing my first grant application. That was when I realized that was uh, not, not likely the path for me. But then five years later, I found myself writing exactly the same grant application, but now on behalf of VIA. And, and that was really significant to me because it wasn't, again, what I was doing every day. It was about what, you know, where am I going to generate that impact? Was that a difficult jump for you? It's definitely been a slow transition. I definitely don't think I am 100% CEO, but I'm no, not, no longer 100% PhD student either. Uh, the skill sets for, uh, for growing a team and building an organization are certainly different from planning an experiment and analyzing data, but that doesn't mean that there aren't parallels. One of the things that was, I think, really important for me was thinking hard about what was it that energized me every day? What day during my, my research, my graduate work, was a day where I came home and was like, that was an awesome day. And what I realized was those were the days I was interacting with people. Those were the days I was thinking and planning, um, kind of like at a strategic level, as opposed to experiment planning. And those were the days that I could connect what I was doing to the impact. And so for me, maybe the path to starting a company was not obvious, but the path from the fundamental research that I was doing was. Joanna, what about you? How did you transition from this research intensive work to entrepreneurship? And was that a challenge for you? Or did it just come naturally? I relate so much to many things that Shreya said. A lot of people start graduate school thinking that they will become professors. And then, I mean, really, if you look at the numbers, it's clear that that won't happen. But then also, 
also many people discover that that's not really their calling, my, myself included. And for me, it was really very similar. It was realizing that, you know, okay, I, I, I'm doing this lab work. I'm good at it. I like it. But what do I love the most? And, um, you know, I really d- loved, you know, understanding what other work was happening. I loved analyzing data more so than I loved being in the lab. So there were clues like that. But, but really, um, there were other things that stood out to me, like, I'm on fire. I love when I'm doing this. And, you know, uh, an example that stands out for me was when I was, I was actually doing a side project on understanding cement chemistry and um, different approaches to decarbonizing cement. And it was one particular day that I, you know, like in the morning, I was reading technical papers and understanding what um, different people were doing. And then in the afternoon, I was diving into the techno-economics and understanding kind of what the drivers were there. And it hit me. I'm like, oh my God, I love doing both of these things together. That's what I love. Um, and that that was a new experience for me to be um, sort of bridging between the the commercial and technical aspects. So that was, a, that was a big clue. And I do think, as Shreya said, being attuned to that sort of thing in terms of what really sets you afire, what do you love doing, what are the days that are the most exciting to you are really important clues. And I, I do have to say, I think one of the best things about MIT for me in retrospect was that it is a it is a big and varied enough place with a lot of interesting people that allows you to really explore different things and learn from people who have done policy work or done startups and come back to academia and so on. And so I felt it was a very rich environment to, to then go explore these new interests that I had in the techno-economic side or in, in the commercial aspects of, of developing a business. And I will say just, you know, if there are, um, you know, graduate students as part of the audience, I, I just think that you know, having seen my own career evolution, having seen people like Shreya launch a company out of the lab, it is so valuable to be able to to bridge those worlds of of the technical and business worlds. And I do think it is a quality that a lot of you know smart MIT students can go after in themselves if they're so compelled. I, I don't think it's always raised front and center as an obvious choice. And so I, I, I just think if, if someone has that inclination, I really encourage them to find ways to develop it because man, the world really needs more people who can bridge the the technical and commercial aspects of a problem. And uh, th- there's just tremendous opportunity there. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and I'll also add that a lot of entrepreneurial spirit, a lot of creativity, and a lot of guts are also required to go work at one of the companies that is is spinning out of the lab. You know, we we got lucky, but I will not pretend that I knew going into my PhD that we were going to start a company. And I would not want to have started it if it, we didn't think it was the solution to the problem we were trying to solve. And so, you know, for that, that, that was that was a total fortuitous for, for us. But we, when we're hiring, are looking for people who are going to jump in and dive dive into problems that literally have not been solved before, are going to do it with an eye towards cost and scalability and impact and you know who and what it does in the world. Um, and they're going to do it in an environment that's, you know, maybe a little bit more uncomfortable than than their their PhD research, right? It's a little bit more uncertain. It's probably working with different personalities and different diversity of thought. And and it's really cool and really fun. And, and maybe one of my most 
big passions, um, things that I'm not directly working on. So besides VIA is getting good people into the climate problem, right? Because without people building the companies, you can't have a hundred founders and, and no team. Um, and you can't have no team and, and uh, are all team and no founders. Like there has to be a balance of this and, and everyone has their a really important role to play. So you both left MIT, Shreya's working on VIA. Johanna, what's going on at Prime? Well, so a little history on Prime. Prime actually also has MIT roots. Um, my colleague, Sarah Carney, is the founder of Prime. She did some of the initial work that led to Prime as a grad student at MIT. And Prime supported several companies in, in its initial years using this very unique type of philanthropic partner. And that's one of the elements that's unique to Prime. We, we, we call it catalytic capital. It's capital that can um, come and embrace high-risk, high-reward ventures even very early on in their lives in a way that might not be as typical for, for other types of venture firms. And so we more recently, based off of that, that early success of Prime and that early work, built a, a venture fund around the same concept of leveraging catalytic capital and from family offices, from individuals, from foundations that can really take a long-term lens and support companies that have higher capital intensity and of a longer time frame. And so uh, we were very proud that um, of of the initial companies that we supported, Via Separations is one of those. And I'll, I'll let Shreya give the details on their funding round from her side. But um, from our perspective, you know, Via is hits all the boxes. It's going after a really, really big climate wedge in terms of this industrial separations problem that, by the way, almost no one thinks about unless you're in that sector. But it's huge. I mean, a monster uh, source of greenhouse gases. And uh, here comes Shreya out of the lab with with a, a solution to this, but one that's going to take a long time to develop, one that has a huge reward from a climate perspective if it's, if it's successful, but one that will take a long time to develop. And so this is a really good example of what Prime was built to do from the ground up in supporting companies um, and getting them to the point where they can be ready for bringing other funding partners on and, and so on. And um, again, Treya can give us the details on that. But, you know, this is this is a good example of exactly what we're what we're looking to do. And so the fact that VIA was, I think, our second investment out of the fund is just very much a point of pride for us that we're able to to support this company. From our perspective, first of all, we are so grateful that there are smart brains working on solving the capital challenges that companies like ours face, right? There's no way I could be thinking about that or have the perspective or know-how to, to be doing that. So it's, it's really cool to have organizations and, and, and investors like Prime. When we were spinning out, we put ourselves on a clock. And so uh, my co-founder, Brent, and I were coming out of PhDs and we uh, saw this cool product market fit that we thought had legs. And we said, well, we want to do this, but we, we want to do this properly. It doesn't mean that improperly. We just want to do this all in. We don't want to be doing this part-time because we don't think we'll make enough progress. And, and this is something that needs to be solved. And we also want to want to be able to put our heart and souls in, into this company. 
And so we opted to look for private funding. We applied for grants and and we won some, but we also opted to look for private funding, which was a very intentional decision uh, that you know led us down a very certain path. But when we go to look for private funding, who who funds this sort of thing? And and the answer is there are a few folks out there, Prime being one, the engine being another, um, some venture funds that are focused on climate and impact and things. But largely the venture capital world doesn't see the returns on climate investing the way they might with a software investment. The returns exist, they just take a little longer to get there. And there's not as much pattern recognition, right? There's fewer of those deals happening. And so it's a lot harder to say, oh, this is the bucket of successful companies. There haven't been enough successful companies. And so to us, it was very important to find uh, aligned investors who are also going to help us grow our company, who are going to help us see around corners and not make the same mistakes that other companies have ha- made in the past and and help us as first-time founders say, oh, you're getting ahead of yourself, or have you thought about this? Or, by the way, I think you should talk to that person. And and so it was really important to us that that we did that. And and we found that in, in Matthew. Um, who, who's at Prime and who actually was the first person we went to for feedback on our pitch deck, um, sort of with an advisor hat on and who completely tore it up and gave us the opportunity to come back to him with, with a revision. And it's people like that and it's organizations that build you up that I think really, really um, make a huge difference in the life cycle of an early stage company. So what are the main challenges with an early stage company and finding investing from a venture capital standpoint, Joanna, why are venture capital firms not inclined to invest in early stage companies like VIA? Well, I think it's important to, to note, and Shreya mentioned this, that there are some, right? And, and especially now. So if we were talking 10 years ago, we would be talking about the tide having gone out on clean tech investing and you know, a lot of people having lost their shirts and and therefore not investing anymore. The the really wonderful development is that there is now a newer generation of uh, climate investors who either watch that happen in some cases, you know, learn lessons from it, or in other cases, just have come to the to the problem with the ability to think longer term or the the resources to think longer term. And so that has that has given us a lot of uh, powerful tools in our toolbox and co-investors uh, in the form of, you know, entities like Breakthrough Energy Ventures, Congruent Ventures, Clean Energy Venture Fund, so I'm uh, Imperative Science Ventures. So I'm, I'm just really pleased that Prime is operating in an environment with a lot of strong co-investors. And that's, that's actually really critical because we on our own cannot carry any one company all the way through. This is going to require a, a lot of partnerships and so on. So that's critical. But if we're if we're not talking about that cohort of, you know, very aligned long-term investors and we're instead looking at the the more conventional model which does remain the majority of venture dollars out there and and that's that's the the important point to remember. Then it goes back to some of the points Shreya made around, you know, the return that's being sought is is generally one that is uh, in the five to seven year time frame. Generally, um, more conventional venture investors are seeking to see those returns on a relatively light investment. Um, so they're looking for companies that can scale on a few million dollars, which you can do if you're building an app. And you cannot do if you're building a materials-based innovation or a new manufacturing process. So there's just a fundamental disconnect there. 
And, you know, maybe looking more for companies that can launch into brand new markets, right? Why was the biotech industry so successful? It was because, you know, this was actually a new sector of the economy that was created. The IT, IT boom, same thing, a new sector of the economy that was created. As opposed to energy, very much not a new sector, right? We're talking about disrupting legacy sectors here. And so all of these things together really do make it challenging for conventional um, venture sources to participate, and for very good reason. I mean, the, the model is not set up to, to scale capital-intensive companies over a multi-decadal timeframe. So it does argue for um, different types of fund structures, different types of investors, which happily, you know, we, we do have in terms of some of those other partners that I mentioned, and which Prime is able to um, to offer as well, um, given its unique structure in working with, with foundations and individuals who are um, more in the mindset of thinking of their capital as catalytic, right, as leading to something else, as opposed to primarily and and solely around uh, return seeking in and of itself, but also tied to impact, tied to being catalytic in nature. I'll add also that I think that a lot of the things described just there in terms of what a traditional venture investor is looking for are things that we can all become, we being clean tech startups. We can, at some point, we will be five years away from billion dollar returns or billion dollar valuations. It's just that that's not going to be where we are when we come out of the lab. And and maybe to illustrate that point, you know, when we came out of the lab, we were making material on the, the order of a square centimeter. And now we're making it in hundreds of square feet, right? And that scaling takes time. That development, that technology, that innovation takes time. It takes resources. It takes labs. It takes people. You know, it takes travel to conferences, all that stuff that costs money. And and I do think, I truly believe that we we are getting very close to being the type of company that a, a, venture ca- a traditional venture capitalist would invest in, but we were certainly not there four years ago. So is the idea that after this initial funding, you will be more attractive to those conventional investors and will go on to lead more rounds through another venture capital firm that's not prime? Yeah, and and maybe not venture capital either. Maybe other forms of structured finance or other um, pathways to 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 scaling up. But but certainly venture capital is one of those options. And I'll add to that, Jen, to to underline that point. When Prime looks at potential investments, we're looking at three things. Most of them we hit on, but that one we haven't. The first is huge climate impact potential. Uh, we talked about how how Via can achieve that. The second is that there's there's a fit for our unique type of capital. Generally, that's because it's a bit earlier, as, as we talked about, than might be attractive to other investors. And the third is that there's a clear path to follow-on capital after our investment. So we very much want to invest in companies that can look attractive to follow-on investors, including conventional sources, although not just conventional sources, could be strategic capital or others, and to do that in a relatively near time frame. We are able to be patient investors, but we're not looking to support research projects that, you know, won't see the light of day for 40 years. That's also not what we're looking to do. So we're always walking this balance between where are the needles in a haystack that can 
become really compelling commercial propositions, you know, in time for their climate impact to matter on the grand scale of the challenge we're all after. And and finding companies that really walk that line is kind of the the art of what we do and what makes uh, opportunities and and partnerships like the one with Via so so important for us to cultivate is because that finding that that bridge between the commercial viability and the climate impact is is a really special one. So how are you measuring the climate impact when you're picking these companies? Is there some kind of assessment that you're using? Is there something quantitative about this decision? Oh yes, we are we we hail from MIT. We are very rigorous in this in this regard. So I'm glad that you asked that. We do seek to support companies that have the potential for large-scale emissions reduction. We think about that on the gigaton scale by 2050. Now that's looking into the future. So there's there's no clear way to assess that in a, in a measured way, which is what you would, would ideally want to do. But we do uh, model out with pretty well-developed models what a company might be able to do um, in terms of deploying their solution and what impact that could have on the emissions reduction. So that entails things like looking out what is the grid mix likely to be for the next few decades? Um, what might this company be able to displace in terms of emissions given that grid mix, given other solutions that might otherwise be developed? Um, so we always want to be sure that we're sort of crediting companies only toward what their solution could bring, not what's going to happen anyway. And uh, we do this modeling on a company by company basis and have been doing that for some time. And again, we're looking for that kind of gigaton scale target or entitlement, you could call it. Um, and then more recently, because we have now done this many times over at Prime Coalition, the parent nonprofit organization with which our fund is associated, has developed an online tool called Crane. Um, it's called Carbon Reduction for uh, New Enterprises. And that tool actually collects some of these common frameworks for modeling out different market scenarios and different adoption scenarios for new technologies, because we have learned that other investors would also like to do this type of uh, projecting out of emissions reduction potential, and not just investors, but also government agencies and incubator and accelerator programs to be able to evaluate companies on that basis. So when you looked at VIA, there must have been a pretty high score on this climate impact. Yeah, that was pretty unambiguous. I mean, this problem that VIA is going after in terms of uh, turning thermal-based processes that currently occur by boiling one substance off another with uh, just the, the much lower energy requirements of pushing some, a mixture across the membrane, that's an almost mind-bogglingly lower energy intensive requirement. So with VIA, that was really unambiguous. Some of the companies that we um, evaluate, I wouldn't say the potential impact is any less, but sometimes the impact could be less direct. So there, there, there's sometimes more thinking to do in terms of how we modeled it out. But what sticks in my head about the reduction modeling we did with, with VIA was that um, in some applications, the energy requirements could be up to 90% less and the emissions out of those processes even more than that, uh, just because of the carbon intensity of the fuels that some of these processes use. And so um, VIA really stands out as, as a huge potential in our portfolio for emissions reduction. I also, I think I just, just quickly to that, I think that there are so many opportunities. Joanna mentioned some of them, but there's so many opportunities for, for emissions reduction. Uh, A lot of those, the same ones get talked about all the time and and that's great. And we need a lot of technologies, you know, for one to win in, in something, you know, like energy storage, which is a no brainer in terms of, of, 
the world needs this. But but there are a lot of, I would call them less glamorous, less sexy problems that need solving. Yeah, I, just to double down on that, at Prime, we're really excited by the unsexy areas, um, so to speak. And we, we did recently make an investment in a cement company, also an MIT spin out and, you know, steel production and, and glass production or other good areas like that, that we look at that are just hugely energy and therefore emissions intensive, haven't gotten a lot of attention, haven't really changed in the last couple hundred years, really ripe for disruption, um, especially as we look at conflating factors like, you know, increasingly affordable, renewable energy that could allow you to really change processes uh, and change the economics if you if you move, for instance, some of these processes from primarily thermal to electrical. You know, there, there's just tremendous opportunity in, in some of these areas that haven't seen much innovation, both from the climate impact perspective, but then also for, for from the economic perspective for investors, because what happens when you disrupt an industry that hasn't seen it coming you know, a lot of a lot of change happens. And that's how a lot of investors look at their look at their livelihoods. It's a great message, too, for people who are working in research in areas that you said aren't so sexy, but that might have applications because they might have the opportunity to disrupt an industry. How is the current pandemic affecting investments, Joanna? Ourselves for Prime Impact Fund are in a um, a fortunate position having just closed our fund. So we are, um, we have a lot of dry powder and we're going to, you know, continue investing that that's core to our mission is that we, we don't stop investing companies need capital. Um, we'll see what, ha- what evolves in the rest of the fundraising landscape uh, as companies go out to raise subsequent rounds. We're certainly watching it closely. We're working with all of our portfolio companies to plan ahead, to, you know, look carefully at their runway, to be proactive and maybe starting a fundraising round earlier than they would have otherwise, because you never know, it might take longer. But um, I do think it's possible, depending on how long the economic impact lasts. We do think it's very possible that capital will be a bit more scarce as, as existing funds tend to reserve their capital for their portfolio companies rather than perhaps making new investments. Again, that's not a trend that we've been able to see yet, but it's certainly one that wouldn't surprise us if it comes to be true. If that's the case, I think for us, it just underscores our mission that, you know, there are going to be really compelling opportunities that are coming out of university labs and the like that really need patient, uh, long-term catalytic capital. And that's what we're here to do. Treya, where can people go to learn more about VIA and your work? Well, I mentioned we just uh, are about to, I would say maybe tomorrow, we'll be launching a new website. So www.viasepherations.com. I'm also around the energy, um, Boston Energy Community uh, Network. So so I'm around and about, obviously, always happy, happy to talk to folks. Our company sits at Greentown Labs, which is an accelerator, incubator accelerator based in Somerville with a hundred of our closest climate impact friends. There's a hundred companies out there working on huge diversity of different aspects of the climate problem. And, and that's a great place to go to learn more. And I guess maybe my advice would be is to, to talk to anyone and everybody. Um, when we were evaluating markets and talking about different applications. You know, I was talking to people um, about battery manufacturing while, you know, attending a friend's wedding or ammonia production, because I happen to be closer to ammonia production land in the United States. And and so finding those opportunities to talk to people doing cool things is, is always, always encouraged. 
Johanna, where can people go to learn more about Prime and your work? We also just launched our website for real. We've been quietly investing for over a year now, but uh, we just closed our funds that allows us to be public about it. So you can go to our website at primeimpactfund.com and see the other companies that we've invested in. So we have an awesome portfolio of companies doing things from lithium extraction to carbon capture and synthetic biology and crop protection, all attacking um, really big climate wedges in very different ways. So I think that in and of itself is an interesting um, group of companies to to learn about. And um, we're always keen to talk to folks who are interested in financial innovation around how to better support new climate technologies and and hardware-based technologies. We think we've done a lot of thinking about that at Prime, but we'd love to share what we've learned, but also um, continue learning from others about what else is needed uh, to to best support the the solutions we need on climate. Well, thanks so much for joining you guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. 